Welcome to episode number 275, Martial Arts with Eric. This is the Rotated Views Podcast with Jimmy Lee and the crew, giving you life from various perspectives. Welcome to our level. We hope you enjoy the views. Brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. Visit bl3ssed.com to get blessed. Also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success. Available on all platforms. All right, you are now tuned in to the Rotated Views Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Lee Velez. I'm here with Goose, Gabe, Heck, and Eric. Martial Arts with Eric. In this episode, we have special guest Eric Purcell. We cover topics that range from entrepreneurship, coaching and teaching, being an author, martial arts, and much more. We wrap the episode up with quotes from Bruce Lee and Napoleon Bonaparte. Guys, if you're new, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to download and subscribe. We drop a new episode every Tuesday morning for your listening pleasure. Kicking things off. Eric, thank you so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. You know, it's uh, we've been talking about doing this for a little while, so it's great to be yeah. here. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so explain how um, my brother is uh, my brother. We call him Goose, but uh, my brother, owner of Miguel's Riverside Barbershop in Bristol. Um, uh, obviously, uh, you go to Angelo, which is a uh, a barber uh, that works with my brothers. So explain how that all began, how that all started, and then my whole family's into um, you know supporting. Um, and watching at least um, uh, combat sports, mixed martial arts. So explain how that all came together. And then obviously I reached out to you uh, on social media, but uh, we had that connection first. Yeah. So um, I needed a haircut, you know, a good haircut. <laughs> I got, I got a, it's a mess going on over here, you know, like, and uh, my man, Justin Burke, a really good friend of mine, one of our trainers and coaches here at the gym. Um, he just told me, he was emphatic about it. Like, you got to go see my boy, Angelo, and was telling me about the spot down in Bristol. And, uh, I was kind of thinking like, finally, like, yeah, it's time. You know, normally I'm such a, I'm such a scrub. I've been cutting my own hair for like the last, <laughs> like five years. I just yeah. mirror it up, take some clippers and I'm like, peace. All right, cool. Let's go get punched in the face all day, you know? But, uh, yeah, it was, it was time. It was time to be a big boy, you know? And, uh. And uh, actually look decent in the back, maybe for once, you know. I got to get back <laughs> over there, though. It's uh, I'm 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 woofing out a little bit, but uh, um, yeah. And it was a pleasure. So I went down there and met Angelo, Miguel, and all these guys, and it was just you feel at home. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, I love the atmosphere. I love where it's located, and it just has such a great vibe to it. Where after my first haircut down there, I was just kind of like, why didn't I do this earlier? That's kind of <laughs> nice. where my mind went. But we're here. We're there now. So I love it. I love nice, it. Nice, All right. Nice. So, well, obviously, obviously, yes. Uh, Goose, I don't know if you want to use for yourself, but we definitely appreciate the support. No, no. Yeah. Well, we were just, I was just kind of excited to see you come through, Eric, uh, for the first time. I did Angelo had told me that uh, Justin sent you in and also that uh, you're, oh, he told me all about your gym. So I'm kind of pumped up. Like, like Jim says, we're, we, we love to support um, local businesses and, and like, yeah. The reason why you're here, just we want to hear your story because it's I love stuff like that and I love to support. Just your, you came to support us, the barbershop, and we love to support you guys and and uh, I just love to hear your story. It, yeah, it's all reciprocal, you know. And uh, 
we all show each other support. We make our community stronger by doing that. We support small yeah. businesses and every, everyone's better off for it, really. Absolutely. All right, Eric. So let's jump right into it, man. Uh, let us know who you are and what you do. Um, I know that's probably, you know, a uh, loaded question, but just very superficial. Let us know. Yeah. So um, my name is Eric Purcell. Um, I own a mixed martial arts gym located in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a pretty decent sized facility. We train everyone from kids, adults, people with no martial arts experience to UFC fighters, uh, Olympic athletes, um, high level D1 athletes, um, other professional athletes as well. It's something that I started around 11 years ago, but I've been training, coaching for a very long time, as well as I was a professional fighter, professional MMA fighter. Um, feels like 100 years ago at this point. But uh, <laughs> so I was doing that. I love it. Ended up buying a gym and everything just kind of flowed. Everything just felt really natural, felt nice. And uh, we've been doing really well. Um, I also am one of the assistant coaches and an athlete on the United States Combat Sambo team for USA Sambo. So we get to travel the world and we fight in all sorts of different countries and places. Uh, we get to represent the United States and Sambo, they just made an Olympic sport. So we'll be a part of that eventually as well in the Olympics, which is going to be pretty cool. And uh, we just keep the ball rolling. We're just into training and trying to make the community better and, um, you know, spreading the message of uh, love for martial arts, a lifelong love of martial arts, which we find is extremely valuable for developing self-confidence, for keeping people safe, for community standards. You know, for a lot of in a lot of communities, you know, you had boxing gyms and, you know, in tough communities and the boxing gyms were really the hubs in the community, in the community, you know, and they were where kids went to stay safe and be off the streets. And even in more of a suburban setting, it's still kind of the same thing, you know, where we have kids here coming from all weeks, walks of life that are coming here to learn uh, some self-defense, but also develop confidence, real confidence and uh, be around other like-minded people that want to better their lives. So martial arts has been a, an absolute blessing in my life. And it's something that will continue to facilitate is until, until my knees give out. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, so what, how did you get started in uh, uh, martial arts? And then um, I know you had said you bought a gym, but what, what gave you the confidence to open up your own gym and then become a teacher coach? So really I was playing like normal sports, like your football, baseball and all of those my whole life. And I moved up here from South Carolina in ninth grade and the wrestling in Pennsylvania is the best wrestling in the, in the entire country. So I got into a school where in ninth grade, I was going to go out for the basketball team because I used to play basketball a lot down in South Carolina and I walked into, you know, my middle school and a new kid from South Carolina. And I know I had a little bit of a Southern accent, said y'all and, and everything like that. <laughs> and, and the coach kind of looked at me. He's like, yeah, I don't know. And uh, he actually, they wouldn't let me try out for the basketball team. So what? I was already at, I, who knows, you know. So I was already at, at school and the wrestling practice was going on. So I figured out what am I going to do? So I walked into the wrestling room. And my dad wrestled. My dad was a, an amazing wrestler back in high school. And, uh, and I got my ass kicked. I thoroughly got my <laughs> ass kicked. I got embarrassed. And I was a tough kid. I'd never, I grew up in, 
in some rough places my whole life. I had to fight my whole life. And um, I'd never lost even like a street fight or anything like that. It never started fights. Wasn't one of those kids. But I just had a face everyone just wanted to try to punch, I guess, like when I was a little kid, you know. But <laughs> I walked into the wrestling room and I thought I was a big dog and just got smoked, got absolutely smoked. And I was so embarrassed that I had to go back the next day and the next day and the next day. And I proceeded to get my butt kicked pretty much the entire year. And, but by the end of the year, I really, I really wanted it. I wanted to get good. I wanted to get better. So I went to wrestling camps going into my uh, sophomore year and I worked out all summer. I mean, I was doing like, you know, sit-ups all day and running and push-ups, and it really, uh, I developed this discipline through wrestling that I really hadn't had in playing previous sports, because if you don't have that discipline, you're going to get beat up. I mean, you're going to get hurt out there. So it's, you step up, you do what you need to do, or you just basically quit and go play something else, you know, because that's kind of the way wrestling is around here. So I really fell in love with wrestling. I stopped playing all the other sports. And uh, by the time I was a senior year, I was an all-star, a first-team scholar athlete in my high school. And so I went from a kid with poor grades, um, coming from, you know, kind of rough stuff and um, no real discipline. And wrestling really kept me out of a lot of trouble. And it really gave me um, a, a sense of direction. And I was going to go to art school, so I knew I was going to wrestle in college. So this my senior year, as soon as I graduated, I started doing a sport called Sambo um, over in uh, Philadelphia, Northeast Philly. And it was a blast. I loved it. And that just continued everything. And then eventually I started doing jiu-jitsu tournaments and then eventually became an amateur MMA fighter, then a professional MMA fighter. Um, in addition to that, I was traveling the world fighting. Um, I've fought in Dominican Republic, in Bulgaria, Scotland. Um, kind of like all around the world. And in Rewind, a little bit before that, back in 2010, as I was being a professional fighter, I was also a personal trainer. And, you know, my whole life was in the gym at that point. And so I kind of was reaching a point where I'm like, all right, if I can get up to 30 clients a week, maybe I'll buy the gym. And so I kind of had these goals set up. And once I reached a certain amount, I bought the gym that I used to train out of and um, refashioned it into an MMA gym. And put my stamp on it and fast forward here we are today in an 8,000 square foot facility and doing okay wow awesome. i love that. that's, that's so, awesome. so so did you have like going from high school um and 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 beyond did you have a particular coach that was kind of guiding you were you figuring this out on your on your own um i know you obviously you said you went to some camps and obviously you had to uh, develop the passion for it uh pretty quickly there, but was there someone that you looked up to or was helping you along the way, or you kind of just figured it out on your own, uh, just out of sheer yeah. passion? My first wrestling coach was the first person that really, it's like, uh, I kind of felt like it was this like rough, like little ugly looking rock. And he just kept beating that rock until eventually yeah. got a little, a little bit of a shine to it. And he was real tough. It was wrestling here uh, in Langhorn and the Chamonix High School. We had, uh, by my senior year, we were undefeated. We won sectionals, districts, regionals. We were one of the best teams, uh, not only in the state, in the country. And 
And it was really because of him and it, and his leadership. And he was so hard on us. I mean, he ran us, ran us, ran us. There were no excuses. We were all responsible for each other. He was never easy on us. He wasn't the kind of guy like, hey, I'm going to, you know, maybe put my arm around you and, and all this other stuff. But he led by example. Uh, he was a phenomenal wrestler. He was a phenomenal athlete. And he was as tough as nails mentally. And I can't speak for everyone else, but me personally, that was something that I aspired to be. He was extremely smart. And I just really gravitated towards that. And, and he really helped motivate me and put me in this direction. He, I, he made my mind so much stronger and tougher. He, he, he made me do things in that wrestling room that I didn't know you could do. And he really taught me that we're capable of so much more, really, than we could ever even possibly imagine. So kind of through his mentorship as being a coach, that's, that's really what set all of this off. I love it. His name's, love- and his, his name's Ed Kern. I guess I should say that as well. <laughs> so, and I tell, I do tell him all the time. I'm like, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this gym. And realistically, if I wouldn't have found wrestling, I mean, my life would be dramatically different. Um, I kind of feel like I, I probably wouldn't be in a, a great spot, you know, because as a young teenager, you, you kind of, you can go one or two ways sometimes. And I was kind of yeah, maybe heading in a direction that uh, wouldn't have been that great. Wow. Wow. What, so, so then you went from wrestling to uh, martial arts. Explain the whole uh, transition again. So, how did you go from uh, you said samba? Yeah, yep, samba. Yep, it's a Russian form of fighting. So there's two, like two variations of it. You have sport, and then you have combat. Sport looks a lot like judo and wrestling, kind of combined. Okay. That's that's what I started doing first, and then you have combat, which is what I compete in these days primarily. And combat looks a lot more like MMA. Um, it's kicking, punching, knees, pins, takedowns, throws, headbutts, everything. It's it's pretty wild. So so growing up, uh, we we grew up in Bristol, uh, and uh, across the street from us was a video store. And that video store back in the day. So growing, up, we grew up in well, I grew up in the nineties, and uh, there were, there was a section where it was like WWF, like all this like fighting stuff um, and wrestling. <laughs> and then like at the very bottom, it was uh, some old school USB stuff. And we had no idea. Dude holding like the world or whatever the hell was going on there. And we're like, oh, it's awesome. Let's get it. And we brought it home. And it was like eyes were getting gouged and elbows were getting popped out of place. And my mom started screaming. It's hilarious. Um, and that was, we fell in love. Um, and obviously for us, it was more on the other spectrum. We just respected the sport. We loved to watch it. We supported it. We bought all the pay-per-views, the video, whatever it was. Um, did, did, did you ever... Did, do you remember those days where it was like the VHS and you're watching them like that, or you just kind of, kind of bypass that stuff? Oh yeah. I remember a hundred percent. And, um, I remember when all, you know, the UFC first came out and yeah, we would sit around and huddle up and watch all that. And, uh, and it, I always kind of wanted to fight being a, as a, even before I started wrestling, I always wanted to do karate and all of those kinds of things. My parents wouldn't put me in karate. So I was just out there yeah. playing football so when that started to come out, it really resonated with myself as well, like it did with a lot of people. Because there you go. You've got, you know, all these different styles of fighting. It was like watching, like, an episode of G.I. Joe or something, like, when I was a kid. You know, they had all these different, like, you know, 
this person represented this, this person represented this, they're from here and everyone looked different and, and everyone like different sizes and, and to see them like fight, it just, it blew my mind. And, and that, that kind of showed me that, uh, it was something that I really, really wanted to start getting into because I never had any fear of fighting uh, or any trepidation. That was just something that just in a weird way, always just kind of felt natural. Like I don't really get nervous before I fight. Um, I get nervous about like, okay, I want to make sure I do the right things in there and stuff like that. But the sure. act itself, the competition doesn't actually get me nervous. So um, yeah, it really blew my mind when it came out and I, I dug it, I dug it a lot. I love it. All right. So, uh, you own your current gym, 8,000 square feet. Um, if uh, a newbie were to walk in, what can they expect? What do you, what, do you, what type of things you guys offer? What's, what kind of equipment is there? Uh, what can they look forward to? Well, we've got, it's kind of like uh, Disney World, basically, for, for martial artists. When you walk in, you know, yeah, it is pretty big. Yeah, we've got a nice size fitness area with, uh, you know, your weights and everything like that, of course. Then we've got boxing ring and MMA cage and all of our mats and uh, Muay Thai bags and um, anything that you really kind of want or you're into, we've got here. So it's a it's an absolute blast. So when new people come in, you know, of course, we want to know what their goals are. Are they looking to fight or compete? Are they um, looking to just enhance their life? Uh, were they bullied or, or where are they coming from? Because what's going to happen is um, – you know, some people come in like, I'm real hungry, I'm ready to go. And some people come in like, I know I need to do this, but I'm really nervous about getting getting started. So we kind of have to read everyone that comes in and once again, just kind of figure out what direction they want to go in and and make their goals our goals and just try to help them uh, facilitate that. I love it. And so how did you go from, let's just say, someone who um, is very timid or just unsure, they just they want to work out or they want to improve their discipline uh, to someone who is, uh, wants to compete. Right. And you go from coaching, you know, your everyday guy who's in there maybe two, three times a week to the guys that are there daily, um, and are professional athletes, um, literally performing at the highest level. Um, you know, what was like your first kid you coach that you're like, Holy smokes, kid's going to make it. Or were they already professional? Did you help them along the way? Talk us to one of those, um, areas. Um, we've, we've had, we've been lucky to have like a handful of people in here and here's, here's kind of what I'll say about that. I mean, we do have obviously guys like Pat Sabatini. Um, I started with Pat, um, a very long time ago and now he's in the UFC. He's three, and zero in the UFC. He's absolutely amazing, but we've had D one athletes walk in here. People that, I mean, they're just, their bodies were made to, to compete. And yeah. uh, they fizzled out. And then I've had people that have walked in really with no background, no training, and they've they just had the mindset and they've gone on to do, gone on to do big things. So my my motto really kind of now when people walk through the door, I always just say the cream's going to rise to the top. You know, so I don't I don't put too much energy into people when they first come in. To me, like potential doesn't matter to me. It's all about them being here consistently every day and actually doing what they need to do. And I get surprised all the time. There are plenty of people that come in here that I'm like, oh, that person's got it. They're going to be an MMA champion one day or this and that. And they, they get sidetracked. They quit. Maybe they don't believe in themselves as much as I believe in them. And then people come in that I'm like, oh, that person's going to quit in a month. And next thing you know, they're out winning, you know, 
gold medals and <laughs> and tearing wow. it up. So I I just kind of um, I just try to provide um, you know the environment for them, but it really is up to them to do the work and to to get to where they want to go. And uh, one of the things I tell everyone, I say, you know, like a year from now, if you suck, that's your fault. It's not our fault. You know, it's you have to take personal responsibility for this stuff. You know, we're here. We're here every day. I'm here seven days a week, unless I'm in Tennessee. And uh, you have to show up. You have to be consistent. You have to work hard. You have to diet correctly. You have to take care of your body. You ha- you can't be out partying every night. You have to surround yourself with the right people. So all of these things have to happen in order to make a real champion, like someone like Pat. And that's what Pat does, all of those things. And without that, it doesn't matter who you are, what background you came from. Um, you're only going to go so far. I love it. I love it. So can you explain a little bit about um... – Obviously, you touched on a little bit about mindset, but what about goal setting? So initially you had said, you know, if someone had a goal, maybe it was to lose weight, maybe it was for um, to win a gold medal. Can you explain a little bit of how you kind of work with them and their goals? Or is it different? Obviously, it's probably different for everybody. Um, and how invested do you get? Because I can see what you're saying, where it's like, dang, maybe sometimes you believe in someone more than they even believe in themselves. And that might be good in the beginning until they beat build up their beliefs but that gets kind of tough when like you said you're a year in this you know it's not really working out there um so how do you surround yourself and kind of uh rally around their goals while still kind of maintaining your own sanity because you know that's tough that that takes a lot of energy from you too yeah you have to find a balance for sure and that's why i had kind of have to make some of these people prove themselves before we get the entire coaching staff and everyone rallied behind them on a consistent basis, because in a facility this large, there are so many people. And, um, you know, and it sounds kind of goofy to say, but I do feel like I've had my heart broken a number of times, you know, where you you take these people and, and you want the best for them. You meet their family and they tell you, Oh, I want this so bad. And you're like, all right, let's do it. And I'm out there running with them every day. I'm out there doing all these things. And, and, uh, helping them financially or whatever it is, you know, I'm out there just giving a hundred percent and then they turn around and just drop off the face of the earth, you know, and you're kind of sitting there going, what about, I thought we had plans. I thought we were going to be champions, you know? And, uh, yeah. 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 So it's kind of like at this point, really, like they have to cross like a lot of bridges and kind of get to a certain point themselves. You know, it's, they've got to put a lot of work in, you know, and without, uh, them, uh, meeting me at least halfway, um, I'm just kind of, I'm here every day, but I'm not going to be out doing all of those small things. And, uh, like I would with someone like, like, like Pat, for example, with Pat, you know, I'm training with him constantly. I'm, he's beating up my body, you know, he's just, uh, we, I'm eating kicks all day. I mean, punches by him. I'm there through his training camps, uh, with his workouts while we're, uh, in Vegas or wherever we're fighting, you know, we've got a lot of stuff going on and it's, uh, there's only so many people you can make that kind of physical and mental sacrifice for to that extent. You just, otherwise you spread yourself too thin. Uh, you, if you didn't have a family, it would be a little easier as well. But when you have family and, and people around you that you're, you're, you're also responsible for, it's difficult. And then the lastly, uh, some people, they don't respect your time as well. We've had plenty of fighters and people where, you know, you're missing dinners and you're missing time with your family you're not going on vacations. You're doing things to help them in their career. And then um, they just, they expect it. They just kind of turn around and they're not very uh, appreciative of it. 
And I've learned to kind of distance myself from those people as well, because at the end of the day, we're supposed to treat each other like family. And some people just kind of, they assume just because they're a pro fighter or they're a champion as a pro fighter that, you know, I'm supposed to uh, give up my entire life for them and everyone's supposed to just uh, sacrifice everything they're doing for them. And life doesn't really work that way. You know, it's really about relationships, um, not necessarily about like championships and medals. As far as I'm concerned, we have to both care about each other. And without that, it's, I just don't waste my time anymore. I love it. Well said. Um, All right. So the t-shirt you have on NPR endurance MMA, explain where you got, you know, uh, the name, explain where uh, the the mottos come from and how you build around that uh, for obviously your own motivation and your own inspiration on a daily basis. Yeah. So um, NPR actually was kind of started off back in the day with uh, one of my friends was actually starting a clothing line about uh, 1999. Uh, So kind of goes way back. And so when I was going to open up a gym, I was because he was already putting out fight gear and, and stuff like that um, back in the 2000s. So when I was going to open up a gym, he's my best friend. I'm like, hey, we'll just kind of parlay it together. I'll start the gym NPR. You'll sell you have your clothing line. We'll work together. The thing I liked about the NPR also, too, is it's kind of uh, brandable, I guess. It's there's not like the skull and crossbones on it like all the stuff out back then was you know we had like the tap out and uh, affliction and all that (laughs) stuff you know and um i wanted to be a little different i wanted to um not alienate um certain people as well with the the, the visual kind of stuff so it just kind of fit and what we did was we just kind of nurtured the brand and he stopped making clothing but um, obviously the gym kind of kept on going and, uh, I redid the logos a few times and we, to where we're at now and, and everything just kind of really clicks and, and goes, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. And, um, and it's, uh, the NPR's motivation, philosophy and respect. And, uh, a lot of times as well in, um, jujitsu, they use a triangle a lot. If you look at uh, a lot of jujitsu gyms, the triangle is just kind of usually like a symbol for kind of jujitsu. So I just kind of broke the triangle up into three lines. So, and uh, so I just, once again, just kind of putting my own spin on everything. I love, it. I love it. All right. So obviously um, there's, there's a lot there to, uh, you know, unpackage with um, entrepreneurship, believing in yourself, um, the dedication, obviously, uh, like you said, you, you know, as a, as a, as a coach, you were building up your clientele. Um, so obviously this is your baby. So it's, it's, it's like, you know, beyond belief, you, uh, this is something you manifested through hard work. So, uh, kudos to you, man. And for enduring, um, Thank you. in a conversation with an old, a very old executive, uh, highly successful. Um, and I was in a meeting and I asked him <laughs> a very simple question. He's like, you guys have any questions for us? And I was like, you know, I raised my hand. I was like, just one piece of advice. If I was your grandkid or if I was your son, you know, what would you say? And he said very simply, he's just outlast everyone. And it was the funniest thing yeah. because he, he's actually kind of old to still be working, but he loves what he does. Um, and it's interesting because he's buried the competition, so to speak. Um, and I say that because it's, it's, I like the, the when it said endurance uh, MMA, and there's so many things that are, you know, you can obviously manifest through sayings and things like that, but you're living it, right? You are, you yeah. have endured. So uh, it's very cool. It's a lifestyle. Thank you. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, it's one of those things where when you start off with nothing, I don't have a name behind me. I don't have any, I, I opened this place with, with basically change out of my pocket. And yeah. I was a single father at the time. And wow. so I, and, and I had full custody of my daughter. So there I am trying to fight and I've got this little, little girl and I'm training people at parks and in my house, I'm training people at the gym. I'm carrying my daughter around everywhere I go. And, <clears throat> and it's, it's, it was so difficult just to get started that once you get started and once you get a foot in the door and you see a little daylight, you're like, nothing's going to stop me now. I'm not going to let anything stand in my way. It's kind of like that advice you were saying where it's like outlast everybody. That's exactly my philosophy uh, because yeah. I know that I do have that endurance to go. I, I call myself a workhorse and a marathoner, you know, yeah. like you are not going to beat me in, in either one. I'm just going to keep marching full steam ahead, no matter what, uh, you know, I'll, I'm going to fail a few times, but nothing's ever going to be the official nail in the coffin. It, it doesn't end until I say it's over. I love it. I love it, man. Um, so one of the quick questions I did want to ask, just because um, uh, we know the importance of it. Can you can you speak on um, attire and gear uh, for a fighter um, when we're watching MMA, uh, when we're watching any uh, event, actually, including boxing and any kind of combat? There's a, a specific uniform or uh, gear that they're wearing and it. In mixed martial arts specifically, there's a pretty big variety uh, when it comes to like the compression shorts, the more loose shorts or the shorts with like the slits on the side. And I'm probably butchering the names of all these, but you can tell it's all all over the place. What's the importance um, of appropriate gear, first of all? And is it really preference to some of these things? Yeah, it's preference. Uh, the big thing is you'll see like a lot of... Uh a lot of kickers, especially people that are throwing like a lot of high kicks, uh, they'll wear the board shorts maybe, but then they'll have a slit down the side or you'll see them wearing more of like the Valley Tudo shorts, the tighter shorts. The big thing is, is you don't want to have anything that feels constricted when you're throwing fast high kicks or anything like that. But it really is a matter of preference. Um, the UFC, they give you a choice of, I, I believe, like three different styles of shorts you can wear. Okay. Um, so it's just up to you. Like one's kind of like a hybrid short. It's like in the middle. It's They're kind of short shorts. Um, some of them are real tight compression shorts and then some of them are, uh, like board shorts, like a little longer, but, uh, it really is a preference for whatever you feel comfortable in. You know, you have to feel when you're out there and and (laughs) it's go time, you know, you have to be wearing the armor, you know, that you want to wear in battle, like whatever that is. So you have to be comfortable out there. What is it? Um, can you explain a little bit about the gear when you're practicing, right? So I know uh, when you're practicing, you got the pads on, you got shin guards, uh, you got the uh, the helmets. Um, Headgear the- maybe? Or- yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and then when all that comes off, then you hear, then you're watching a fight and you see dudes getting dropped uh, or women getting dropped left and right for uh, for whatever reason. It might have been a clean shot, whatever. Uh, but then you hear people talk about, you know, you have a weak chin or X, Y, and Z is the reason why. Can you explain, is that, is that something you build or people built with that? <laughs> they could just take, or like some people were saying, oh man, I can tell by the size of the head, he's going to be hard to knock out. Um, can you touch on that just a little bit? You don't have to really go too in depth, but um, is that something people have? Like somebody just has a chin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people, um, some people can withstand punishment, right? But sooner or later that goes away on everybody. 
Um, sure. There's only so many times you can get your brain rattled around in your head before you start to develop CTE. And that usually develops pretty quickly as well. So yeah. some guys you'll see maybe early in their career, they'll have a nice rock solid chin. They'll be able to take some punishment uh, towards the end of their career. They're, they're just getting dropped with, with shots. And um, a lot of times they say, you know, you get knocked out by the punch you don't see coming. So sometimes hmm. maybe someone throws a hook and you're, you don't see it and it just kind of hits you towards the back of the head. That'll drop you or head kicks. They'll wrap around the back of your head as well. Um, but it is different. It's, uh, yeah, some people are just, they're just durable. I don't know what it is. And uh, they just, yeah. And you know what I think part of it is too, is usually the guys that are real durable, uh, they're animals. You know, they get in there, like they almost don't care about getting hit. And it's something weird about that. Like when you're, when you're walking <laughs> towards the punch and you're just like, hit me. You know, like nothing <laughs> yeah, seems yeah, to yeah. really like knock you out, right? But if you, you you get hit once or twice, you start to shy away from it, and then boop, that punch wraps around the back of your head, you're out. So it's a lot of, you know, it's it's a little bit of everything, really. Some people, once again, they've got durable chins. They're tough. They also say your neck, uh, depending upon if you've got a nice thick neck, that'll be helpful. But I've seen people with thick necks get knocked out cold, you know. So And I've seen little guys with little pencil necks, like fine, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's getting hit in the face and, uh, and taking that damage, whether it's with boxing gloves or MMA gloves, it's, it's dangerous, you know, and sooner or later there's a community where uh, it's all going to accumulate regardless of who you are. And it's going to cause problems for you. Even if you don't get knocked out, I mean, you're going to develop that CTE and the CTE can lead to all sorts of uh, problems with depression and uh, memory loss and function of your body and, a lot of people don't, you know, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch fights. You know, I've been watching fights my whole life and obviously competing. I still fight and I still get punched on a daily basis. But uh, what these fighters go through is, uh, you know, it's it, it's a lot, you know, and it's something that I hope fight fans when they watch the fights that they really respect uh, what these what these athletes put themselves through. Because at the end of the day, when you're taking brain damage, no amount of money that you're making is really worth it. Um, and, and so in essence, you know, whether it's someone fighting in a regional circuit or in the UFC, they're all underpaid really kind of at the end of the day yeah. with, uh, getting their brains jarred around. Cause your brain is, you know, you could blow a knee out. You could, uh, you could lose an arm. I mean, whatever the deal, but you know, your brain is the one thing that you need, you need, you know, like you need a functioning brain, you know, and unfortunately for us fighters, that's, what's really, you know, taking the worst damage for the most part. Absolutely. And it also speaks to obviously your gym uh, or any other gym that are, you know, doing these things the right way, the proper education, the proper coaching, uh, things like that. Not, you know, dudes knocking each other out in their backyards. Uh, yeah, very right. un unsafe <laughs> manner. Uh, I've seen um, some crazy. I've seen some crazy stuff over the years. Crazy yeah, stuff. <laughs> yeah. how, uh, how long does it how long does it typically uh like say say somebody had a fight, how long do they typically train for? Like, is there a specific time or until they feel that they're ready, or w what is the the step by step for them to get ready? Well, I ideally, if you have a fight lined up, you'd like to have at least a, at least a couple months of a training camp before you go into that fight. I mean, ideally, you know, because you want to give yourself time if you have to cut weight. You know, let's say uh, unless you're a heavyweight, really doesn't matter. But for everyone else. Um, it usually takes about a month to get your weight down to where it should be properly, right. the correct way. Um, so having as much time uh, ahead of time is great. But also, too, 
sometimes you take a short notice fight and sometimes that's even better sometimes as well too if you're already in shape because sometimes then you're not overthinking the fight you know yeah, you yeah. just kind of walk in during that week's notice and bah, you just throw down and and uh it's a little bit a little bit uh more stress-free sometimes having a shorter fight camp uh because you're not yeah, once sense. again you're not waking yeah you're not waking up every day thinking about like oh i wonder what I wonder what Gerald's eating for breakfast this morning. Is he running? Is he working out? <laughs> yeah. Is he training as hard as yeah, I am? Yeah. You know, driving yourself, so, yourself out. Yeah, yeah. You're not like on social media, like trying to spy on them every day or whoever. You know, and, uh, so sometimes the short the short fights um, are nice, you know. But then sometimes you're they're terrible to take. Maybe you're unprepared. You know, it's the fight game's crazy. It's crazy, but that's kind of ideally you'd like to have a couple months. I'm sorry. Do you guys watch film to prepare too? Yeah, yeah, we watch a lot of film. Um, I, I watch more film than the fighters watch. Usually, um, I study everything. Usually, I'll transcribe their previous fights. So, if we have an opponent lined up for Pat, I'll look at his previous fights against similar opponents. And what I'll do is I'll write down like I'll start from the beginning of the fight, and I'll I'll literally write down every kick, punch, takedown attempt, every space wow. and gap in the fight that happens um, that I find especially valuable. And what I'll do is I'll see if I can find patterns in that as well. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll study those patterns and uh, we'll train those patterns during that uh, fight camp. Wow. Jeez. It's intense. It's intense boys. I love it. It's crazy. And then I'll, I'll also mimic his, uh, his uh, opponents as well. So if his, if he fight, if he's fighting someone that's South Paul, I'll be South Paul. Mm. If a person has their hands down, if they move a certain way, I'll mimic that. If they throw certain combos, I'll mimic that. Uh, just to try to give them as close of a look going into the fight as possible. Brilliant. Nice. I love it. All right, so let's talk authorship. Uh, what what in the world made you want to write a book, right? And so uh, I love it, man. Uh, so obviously, I like the I like the whole legacy feeling of that, right? So it's like, man, if if something, you know, God forbid, if something happens, at least you have something solid. Right? That was that was my mindset when I, I wrote uh, I published something uh, several years ago. But what made you want to write a book? Well, I started developing these systems for fighting, and I've really started to examine fighting in a different way as far as what people's really what their real goals were in certain parts of the fight. You know, you put someone up against a cage. What are what's really happening there? What really is their goal? Not just, oh, yeah, he's trying to knock the other person out or take him down. But what kind of control is he really trying to develop to get to where that the fighter wants to go? So we sort of develop these concepts um, from these positions. And and then uh, and then more of a system started to emerge. And then I then that helped me develop the systems for everything else. So next, thing you know, I was kind of sitting on this like little gold mine of simple concepts and systems for fighting. That in my in my opinion, I think are going to give people a, a a fresh take on what they're really looking at when they're watching fights, or or fighting and training, and all I had to do really was just keep developing um, some of that terminology a little bit more, and and just keep systematizing it a little bit more and a little bit more, and then finally we had the book, and I just had to get all the pictures done and and kind of take it that next step, and I'm pretty happy with how it turned out, and. It seems like everyone's really enjoying it. All the fighters that that have that bought it, you know, purchased it on on uh, with the Apple Bookstore and on Amazon, and so it's it's been cool. I love it. So it's titled MMA Unchained for the Champion's Mind. I love it. So how'd you come up with the title? Um, who did anyone else help you develop the writing or the process or the steps 
And, um, you know, obviously because what was it, is it formatted in the way you go through the process? Um, kind of those things. So how was the title? How'd you get from the title? How'd you format? Well, we're always talking about chaining techniques together and chaining this move to this move to this move. So the unchained part was just like, Hey, we're breaking all of this stuff down. And, um, and really the people that, that helped me really, yeah, the people that really helped me develop it and, and really define it were my fighters. Um, these are systems that I've used with these guys, um, in the UFC and CFFC and some of the big fight organizations or even my amateur fighters. And, um, and through these systems and seeing them work and the things that uh, that the that we can really keep building off of, it's just uh, it's it's foolproof as far as I'm concerned. And and I stand behind the book and, and every idea and premise and concept in the book 100 percent. I love it, man. Um, so what was what was the most difficult, difficult part about writing the book? Was it just putting it all together? Because obviously you had the knowledge, you had the know how. Um, yeah, you had the direct feedback from your own fighters um, in the gym there. Was it just putting it all together? Because obviously you had the knowledge, right? Yeah, the hard part was just, once again, just, um, you know, creating cohesive terminology for everything and making sure every piece fit into every other piece. Um, and so it was just really just going back through. And once I wrote the book, just reading it and rereading it about a thousand times and and having some of the other fighters check it over just to make sure that, it wasn't confusing to someone that's new to MMA as well. Um, we wanted to make sure that not only um, experienced fighters, but new fighters could kind of understand what we were talking about. I love it. And if you can, please, where can folks get this? Um, is there any particular location, uh, online, physical copies? Let us know. Yeah, so uh, you can go right to the um, Amazon, or I guess right to Amazon and Google, or you know, go ahead and search in uh, MMA Unchained. Also on the Apple ebook store as well. And uh, those are probably the best places to find it. I do have links like on my social media pages as well, uh, which can kind of take you to those spots, but that's pretty much the easiest way to do it, I guess. Awesome. Um, all right, man. So any fights or events we should all be on the lookout for? Fighters, events? Well, outside of the book. <laughs> uh, there's not too much going on right now. Um, this is kind of the slow time of year, right around January. It's kind of when uh, fight promotions don't really kick back up until February, March. Uh, Pat okay. Sabatini will, will be fighting again, hopefully around March, April. Uh, we put him on the shelf for a little bit, let him enjoy the holidays. Excuse me. Um, we will have some other fighters and amateurs and pros fighting around that February, March time as well. Then we've got uh, some big Sambo tournaments coming up. Nationals is coming up in April. We have a lot of people going to Texas to fight. So I might go fight down there as well. Nice. So just having fun, you know? I love it. I love it. All right. So um, one of my favorite questions, um, we're winding down here. It's one of the last ones. But uh, pre-show, we were discussing, you know, some of the things, uh, you know, going on your personal life, all positive, all good stuff, um, you know, buying land. And one of the things that I like to ask every one of our guests is how do you manage the work-life balance? How do you keep your sanity, so to speak? Um, obviously family life, all the above. H how do you manage it all? You've got to love what you do. That's it. You know, it's uh, it's a whirlwind. It's ups. There's just there's ups and downs and peaks and valleys and, if you don't love what you do, it will absolutely burn you out and make you resent what's going on. So um, that's really the only 
the only advice I can give to anyone. And it sounds like a little cliche, but it's the truth because I'm seven days a week and um, 100 miles an hour. And it's uh, it's something that if you can't find some love in it every day, uh, it, you'll blow yourself up in this business so or in any business for that matter. So you do have to have like a healthy love and passion for what you do. Otherwise, it's just it's impossible. I love it. Eric, one thing I, I love that you were saying is when you first opened up the gym, um, you're a single father, single parent, so you were taking care of your daughter. And I can relate to that because when I first opened up the, the barber shop, my daughter was three years old and I was going through a little rocky relationship. And I yeah. remember just being in the barber shop. I, I didn't, it wasn't open for business just yet, but I was doing construction. I was painting, I was doing whatever. And I, it was obviously, I had her. So it'd be 10 o'clock at night and I would have like my coat her coat and she's falling yeah. asleep on the floor while I'm on the other side of this barbershop painting and trying to get things done. And like, it would break my heart. And I remember like, just looking at her, I'm like, this is going to work out. I'm doing this for her. I'm doing this for us. Yeah. And like, it'll succeed. And obviously like you, that was around the same time. I, I did it 10 years ago in my other shop. Now I'm in this yeah. bigger facility. And like you, you're in this monster 8,000 square foot space and, and it worked, you know? And sometimes like, that's like, your children are your goals. Like you, that's the reason yeah. why you do it for who you do it for. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I grew up pretty poor. I grew up, uh, you know, bad areas, no money, you name it, all that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, even when my daughter was young, I, things were still tough for me as a professional fighter. I was getting my power turned off. I couldn't afford heating oil. You know, I said to tell my daughter, like, yeah, we have the, we've got the, uh, mattress around the fireplace right now. Uh, a car must hit the telephone pole, you know, I don't know if we don't have electric. And I remember sitting there so just angry and upset and just telling myself like, one day I'm going to claw myself out of this. I'm never going to have to do that again. And, you know, you're looking at your little girl and you'll do anything for your kids. And, you know, you experience such pain and you're embarrassed and all this stuff when, when you, when you have no money because you can't afford certain things and, and it'll rip you apart. But, you know, you just use all that as your motivation and, and to, to make sure that no one can take anything away from you. So anytime I got an inch, I kept it. I got another inch. I got another inch. I got mm -hmm. another inch. I got another inch. And I never stopped. I never stopped. I never stopped. I never stopped, you know, until, you know, we've got what we're going on now and I still won't stop um, until, you know, I've got enough money one day that, you know, my daughter never has to worry about anything. And that's the goal. You know, it's not for me. It's for her. I can go live in a box somewhere. I don't really don't care, but um, for your kids, you know, that's why we do it. It's a sacrifice. Absolutely. And when you have yes, that, that burning desire in you, that sacrifice, nobody's going to get in your way. That's it. I love it. One of the dream building things I just want to tap into, Eric, if you want to share, you can, if not all good, or there's, there's a lot of people striving and grinding and that there is this payoff. No, we know that you're working seven days a week. Um, but I thought it was very inspirational. You saying you bought all this land, uh, 60 plus acres in Tennessee and I'm getting the chills talking about it to have your friends and family to uh, enjoy it. Uh, and that's very inspirational. Yeah. You want to share that with any of us? And we yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the land is a, is a dream come true, you know. And it's, it's something that, once again, you know, we're talking about, you know, your daughter and, and talking about our kids and why mm -hmm. we do certain things. And I really did want to have like, kind of like a legacy for my friends and my family and there's so much wild stuff going on in the world. You know, I just wanted to have as much land as I could get my hands on, but not only just have the land, I wanted to have, you know, places for them to go and stay. 
And luckily I, I found my dream property down there and it's, it's just amazing. And there's so much cool stuff we're, we're building down there for, for the friends and family. And I got to pick out the land with, with my daughter down there, which was like a blast. And, um, yeah. And so she kind of gets to see all of this stuff happen now. And cause she remembers how bad things were and how poor we were. And, um, and, you know, to see her kind of just kind of shaking her head, like, wow, dad, like you're actually doing this. It's, it's wild, you know? And, um, it makes it just, it kind of makes you just fill up with joy and, it's something that, you know, everyone can achieve, you know, like literally I came from, um, you know, quick story, not to, it's not a sad story or anything like that, as far as I'm concerned, because it helped kind of make who I was, but, you know, uh, I grew up with my dad, things weren't that great. You know, mom, mom was gone and, you know, we traveled around a lot and grew up extremely poor where basically I was taking care of myself from uh, kindergarten essentially. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy, you know, but when I moved up here, um, life got a little easier when we moved up to the suburbs up here and, and then I started wrestling and then all those things. So life started to kind of even itself out a little bit, but as a youngster, I never dreamed I would own anything. I mean, who knows, you know, it was just, it wasn't even a, a thought really in my head. Uh, yeah. and so, and even as a professional fighter, like I said, I was still poor. I had no money. You know, you got women in your life, you know, you'll never be anything. You'll never have anything. And, you know, and meanwhile, I'm, I'm busted every day. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, all these people that, uh, you know, family or, or, or exes, you know, um, that are always, you know, but they'll always remind you, you'll never amount to nothing, you know? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, there's no shortage on people that'll come out of the woodwork and let you know that uh, <laughs> you don't have what it takes, you know? And, um and I use all that as motivation, you know, unfortunately there are a lot of those people out there. And, um, but when you, when you have these dreams, it's, it's not just enough to have a dream, you know, you have to go out and execute. And that doesn't mean that you can't diverge from your dream a little bit, but the important part is every single day, putting one foot in front of the other and constantly moving forward. Now, moving forward could end up looking like this, you know, but you're moving forward and that's the important thing. And it's okay to make changes to your dream and alterations to your plans as, as you start to execute those plans, because the deeper you get into things, you might find better ways to do things or, or different, different pathways to take it. But you have to constantly be moving in a forward motion trajectory. Otherwise standing still, you get past in that race of life. And, um, and that's where, you know, you got to, that marathon, you got to outlast everybody. You got to keep moving forward no matter what. And I've uh, been very fortunate that I have had enough people that have helped me out and believed in me along the way. Um, and without a few of those people, I mean, who knows where I'd be. I had people loan me money that probably shouldn't have loaned me money when I was building this dream. Um, yeah. You know, and they're all paid off, you know, and uh, we're all excellent yeah. friends. And if it wasn't for some of those people, you know, just seeing how hard I work, because the only reason they lent me money is because they saw how hard I worked and they're like, this guy's going to work his butt off. He's not going to give up. At least he's going to give it everything he's got to get to where he wants to go. And, um, without those people, I don't know what things will look like here, you know, but, um, but I don't want to let anyone down and, you know, I don't want to let my, my daughter down. I don't want to let my friends and family down and I don't want to let people who have lent me money down in the past, you know, but, yeah. but now here we are and, we've kind of created this, uh, this business and NPR and 
we bought land and we've got a few more fun things in the works. And, um, and now I'm fortunate enough, I get to help other people and, um, you know, provide a great atmosphere for, you know, or, or maybe even be a role model for someone else coming up. I love it, man. That's so awesome. Very inspirational. Um, I love the story, man. You know, so many people can relate to that, right? It's even just the little things, the, just the overcoming and never giving up and still believing in yourself, as you mentioned, when not many people believed in you and the, the, the few that did, um, that's still, you know, somewhat part of your circle, or maybe they're still very close, but it's amazing um, what we can achieve when, when we truly do believe in ourselves um, and, and our dreams. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, I know the listeners love that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're able to share it with us here. Um, do you have any parting words or anything you want to say before we fully close out or any, um, any of your um, social media handles? Yeah, well, you know, number one, I guess just uh, thanks a lot for having me on and thank all you guys. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And um, I do like to, you know, share story every once in a while. And because, um, you know, you never know, there could be someone out there kind of listening to this that's in the same boat and ready to come up. And, um, and there is a lot of uh, negativity and, and negative influences out there. And there's only one way to really do this right. And that's, you know, put 100% effort into it. That's that's all you can do, you know, is is wake up, eat, sleep, drink, you know, your passion. And um, if you don't do it that way, it's it's going to be hard to succeed and and just get started doing something. You're not going to have all the answers. And most of the projects I start, I don't know what I'm doing when I first start. All I know is <laughs> I'm going to give it 100% work it out. And uh, like this land down in Tennessee, I don't know what I'm doing down there, you know. I'm, but uh, <laughs> I've never farmed or anything, you know. I don't even hunt. Yeah. And uh, But we're going to figure it out And because you got to have – you know, the faith and you have to have the discipline and, and the work ethic. As long as you have those, uh, your chances of being successful, I think are, are pretty good, you know? So it's important for everyone, you know, no matter where you're at, you know, especially if you, one of the things I realized when you start these big lifelong goals, you know, something that you really want to do and, and that you're going to put everything on the line for, um, it's kind of like how they say the, uh, you know, um, it's always, uh, what is it? It's always darkest before dawn or something like that, you know? And yeah. it's th that's the hardest time to get anything going because you're investing all your money, all your time and resources into something that you're not even sure is going to be successful. And people went, might look at that and go, hey, you're not a success yet. You've been doing this for six months and you're not rich, you know? And there's yeah. plenty <laughs> of those people. And, you know, no one's ever going to pat you on the back until you kind of get over the mountaintop, you know? So the hardest parts about any endeavors or, you know, being an entrepreneur or anything, or all, it's always the beginning. It's always the first few years. And, uh, and that's where people quit or that's where people go on to, uh, to be successful. So you just gotta just break on through, you know, no matter what. That's it. I love it. I love it. Oh, and, uh, your social media handles, how can people reach your gym? You personally, or. Oh yeah, cool. So I'm on uh, Facebook, Eric Purcell. I'm on, uh, Instagram at Eric, E-R-I-K underscore Purcell, P-U-R-C-E-L-L. -L. Um, I'm on a few other like little things here and there, but that's probably, you know, probably the best places to reach me at. And um, yeah, everyone stop by the gym. It's NPR Endurance. We're located in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Um, check out the book, you know, whatever you want to do. Uh, we've got a few more cool things coming up in the future that uh, we're currently working on um, as far as a DVD series and some other things as well. So stay tuned. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. We'd like to close, thing, 
out with quotes. And the first one is by Bruce Lee. If you truly love life, don't waste time because time is what life is made of. The second one by Napoleon Bonaparte. You must not fight too often with one enemy or you'll teach him all your art of war. There you go. Martial arts with Eric. In this episode, we have special guest Eric Purcell. We cover topics that range from entrepreneurship, coaching and teaching, being an author, martial arts, and much more. We wrap the episode up with quotes from Bruce Lee and Napoleon Bonaparte. Awesome. Guys, thanks again for joining us. The Rotated Views podcast was produced for self-development purposes. Huge shout out to our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. That is BL3SSED.com. Also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success. Available on all platforms. Guys, don't forget to visit the website, JimmyLeeVelez.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rotated Views. If you have any inquiries or questions, email us at info at JimmyLeeVelez.com. On behalf of myself and the rest of the crew, we wish you massive success. Stay blessed. <laughs>